In congregation to Revelation chapter 21, where we read the first 21 verses, and our text, the focus of the sermon will be from verse 9 to verse 21. <clears throat> God's holy word. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be, will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to, to him who thirsts. He who, he who overcomes shall, be, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God <clears throat> having the glory of God her light was like a most precious stone like a jasper stone clear as crystal also she had 12 also she had a great and a high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. <clears throat> then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. 
The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual, per, each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And then we turn to the Old Testament, to Daniel chapter 12, where he also speaks glorious words to God's beleaguered children in Babylonian captivity. Daniel chapter 12, we read the first three verses. And we note in particular verse 3. Daniel 12 and verse 1. At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never it was since there was a nation, even to that day. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. But those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So far we read from God's holy word. <clears throat> Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved of the Lord God, we know that man has been in the business a long, long time for building cities. We think back to Genesis chapter 10 when that mighty man by the name of Nimrod went out and built himself a city in the land of Shinar. We know the name of the city was Babylon, or sorry, Babel, Babel. And some years later, he went north from that place into the land of Assyria, and he built another great city, an ancient city called Nineveh. We know of these great cities of ancient times. These cities for centuries remained as cities and kingdoms of great worldly power and glory, the achievement of man. And man, we know, has not stopped building cities since that time. We think of Nebuchadnezzar and that marvelous city of Babylon, one of the greatest cities of the ancient world, Nebuchadnezzar built, and the Caesars who made Rome a glorious, glorious city in its day. And we think of the city of Athens in Greece, so glorified by the philosophers of the time. And man has continued to build many, many cities over the centuries and well into our modern times. We think of London and Paris and New York Cities like Tokyo, even Toronto, great cities. 
Cities that uh, have their squalor and their misery, no doubt, but as well show something of man's great achievement in architecture and in might and in engineering. Cities built to man's glory that show his power and his achievements. But what a contrast, congregation, they are to the city of God, the work of his creation and of his grace. The city of God is a city of incomparable beauty and wonder, a city made by our holy triune God. And that is what the Apostle John gets to see. That's all we learn here about this city. He simply gets to see it. And of course, to tell the church what the church in the age to come is going to look like. Just a little bit, he catches a glimpse. And so our theme this morning, John has shown the great city, the holy Jerusalem. He says at verse 9, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. We first notice the identity and the character of the city. We learn that she is the Lamb's wife. The city is a bride. The city is the bride of the Lamb that was slain. She is the bride who has become the glorified church of the Lord Jesus Christ. She is the people whom the Lord God has made spotless and pure and holy by the blood of the Lamb. This great city has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. She has, in her day, taken up her cross and followed him. How important that is, congregation, to be identified with that city which is to come, to be even now taking up our cross and following him. Now is the time, congregation, to turn from our sins and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be saved and having been saved to continue in that salvation all the days until we too see and are a part of that holy Jerusalem that is coming down out of heaven. Coming down, of course, so that it might be established in the age to come on the brand new earth. We know as a large number of people living in close proximity form a, form a city. We all know that language, what it means. So also the church of Christ is pictured as a, as a city. But it's a great one, John tells us. Let's go to verse 10. So he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city. The holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. From this high height, this high perspective, John sees a city that is so great, it is so marvelous, it is so unbelievably spectacular. We contrast that with today and we look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, how it's viewed with scorn in the eyes of the world, how the church is deemed to be undesirable for most people nothing attractive, nothing to pay attention to, insignificant to the leaders of this world. 
And yet here we have, by contrast, a city that is the exact opposite of what the city of uh, the body of Christ would look like today. This, this city is unbelievably more glorious than what the church appears to be today in the eyes of men. In this vision, John is simply given to, to see, to kind of watch, and to assess what the angel is telling him because this is very important information for the church of the first century to hang on to as they go through all their trials and persecutions and so much for us as well to hang on to dearly, congregation, this vision. We don't even see the half of it here. We see that this city is descending from heaven, from God indicating that this city is God's creation. It's His gracious handiwork. And isn't that the truth? Because isn't God the source of your regeneration? Isn't He the source of your sanctification and of your preservation and of your glorification? And it is because you are the bride of the Lamb. John says, the Lamb's wife. And interestingly, he also identifies her as simply holy Jerusalem, the place where God once dwelt with his people from the temple and earlier from the tabernacle, indicating that um, this new Jerusalem coming down is really the fulfillment of old Jerusalem of the Old Testament church, but also the fulfillment of the New Testament church that church where God has also chosen, has chosen to dwell by His Word and Holy Spirit. And again, contrasting congregation with what is to come, we see how the church today is still but a, a poor and a faint shadow of this heavenly city. Now the church is still beset with all kinds of imperfection and weakness and division. The light of the gospel at times shines rather dimly in the life of the church. But what stands out in our text is that this holy city has the glory of God all about her. Notice verse 11, John describes a city, this is her character as well, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Interestingly, in Revelation chapter 4 at verse 3, we have a similar picture of the throne room of God in heaven where he is seated. And there we read, he who sat there was like a jasper stone and carnelian. And so the glory of the church congregation that John sees in the vision descending out of heaven bears not her own light, it's not her own glory, but it is the glory of God. It bears the divine radiance, the radiant beauty and holiness and awesomeness of the glory of God. John says the new Jerusalem shines with, with light like a jasper stone, as clear as crystal. I've never seen a jasper stone, but it must be quite something. It's a most precious stone and uh, has various 
hues or, or different kinds of colors. Mainly it's a translucent pale green crystal. It has a natural illuminating quality. But this stone here, John says, is this, this jasper stone, he says it's clear as crystal. This is a jasper stone like no other jasper stone you'd ever find in all the world. The great city now shines before John in this vision as a gigantic, dazzling diamond of flawless purity and wonder. And you know what? This is how John pictures through this vision something of the glory that the church has in heaven. It, 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 it is so because it bears the righteousness of Christ who made her a thing of wonder, of absolute dazzling purity. Oh, congregation, how can we describe the glory of God upon the church? We have words here, but they still, they still cause us to fail to fathom the depth and the glory that is here revealed. And yet here it is. It's a picture given for you and me so that we now keep hungering after that truth of God that will make us finally glorious. It is now given to us to make us keep hungering for the truth and the glory of God and not to be hungering or running after the glitter of this world that is so temporary, that is so fragile, that will soon pass away. This vision has been given to us so that all the more we set our priorities in the right place, that we keep lifting our heads heavenward to that which is to come, trusting God's wonderful promises that are here pictured and that are fulfilled in this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. This vision is given to us so we keep on rejoicing in the things that are eternal, reserved in the heavens for you and for me, who long for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep on trusting in that one who is our bridegroom, to remember what he has done for us, and to begin to contemplate seriously what he will yet do for us and make us to be in the age to come when he himself returns in glory to take us to himself. And then John sees by means of the angel next various dimensions and descriptions of the great city, holy Jerusalem. We continue to read at verse 12 and 13. Then she, and also, sorry, and also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And then note verse 17, then he, that is to say the angel, measured its wall 144 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. In the second place, congregation, we note the structure and the foundation 
of this city. The city is surrounded by a very great and a high wall. It's 144 cubits, implying 144 cubits thick, 144 cubits high or tall, surrounding the city. This is a massive, massive wall constructed. We know a cubit is about 18 inches, a foot and a half. So if we do the math, 144 cubits high and thick is a wall about 215 feet thick and tall, or about 65 meters thick and tall, circling the Holy Jerusalem in this vision. Now we know that in ancient times most cities had thick and high strong walls surrounding them, but there's no comparison to this wall, this size and so forth. Ancient, ancient cities had heavy walls to protect their citizens from the enemy, and so also this great city also has walls around her to protect her, if you will, but the protection here symbolized refers to the divine might and power and also the love and the care with which our Creator will watch over and guard and protect that holy Jerusalem that is coming now. Even though all the enemies of the church by this time, as this vision proceeds concerning the future, by this time all the enemies of the church are into the lake of fire. And so we would think, why would a glorified church of Jesus Christ still be pictured in heaven as having such a thick and a high wall to surround her in order to defend her as a means of defense? It nevertheless teaches, however, something of, of, of our security and protection. This wall indicates God is forever the security of his people. He forever surrounds her with his arms of love and protection so that the church in the age to come will be a glorified heavenly fortress, forever safe, forever at rest, and at peace with her God. These walls are a symbol of our eternal comfort and security, our strength, our longevity, which indeed will be forever. This wall stands out as so integral or so necessary to the city. Notice in verse 16, we read that the city is laid out as a square, eh? a perfect square. Uh, its length is as great as its width. Verse 12 tells us that it also had 12 gates. And verse uh, 13 says these three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Verse 25 also tells us the gates were not kept shut. They're standing wide open to symbolize, if you will, entry points, gates through which God has gathered in all the nations of his choosing, gathered them in by his holy angels so that they enter the kingdom of God, coming from the far corners of the earth, from all points on the compass, north, south, east, west, 
a gate for everyone coming from every direction. We read in Matthew 24, 31, it speaks of the end of the age when God's angels will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. That indeed is going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and the dead in Christ shall be raised with glorified bodies and gathered in by the holy angels in and through these gates. They will enter. The vision seems to show that at each gate there's going to be a gatekeeper, an angel standing by every gate, having helped to bring in God's people. And so congregation, that's the symbolism we have in this vision at this particular point. Now let's dig a little deeper and we see that these 12 gates bear the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. This is a description of those who've come in from all the nations through the gates. They bear the name of the Old Testament church, the 12 tribes. See how the universal Christian church is already delineated now for the first time with Old Testament language going to show indeed the, uh, the Israel of God in the Old Testament was part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as much as the New Testament church is part of the Lord Jesus Christ's body, the church universal, they have always formed one holy communion of the saints. It's always been one holy Catholic Christian church as we confess. It has been the one kingdom of God, the one body of Christ. And she, here she is gathered in to be the bride. The bride. The Lamb's wife. We continue to read at verse 14, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. First 12 gates, now 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. See how the, these 12 names of the apostles are now integrated with the names of the 12 tribes and together they stand in harmony with each other, marking, identifying one holy Christian church in its glorified state. Together, the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles distinguish the glorified church of Jesus Christ, the Lamb's wife. And so, congregation, we are shown something absolutely inconceivably marvelous, a holy Jerusalem. What stands out? Well, those walls of God's truth marked with the names of the 12 apostles surrounding the church, undergirding the church. What's her foundation? Well, it is the word of the 12 apostles with Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. And we must remember that that is really at the heart of it, because the preaching of the Holy Gospel by the apostles and the prophets as its foundation is indeed the foundation of the church, we read in Ephesians 2, verse 20. And by that means of that preaching, the nations are gathered in from the four corners of the earth through the twelve gates, through those gates that are marked by the tribes' names, the names of the twelve tribes. This is to say, through the church, we enter into the kingdom of God. 
And so, congregation, we have the city of God's making from start to finish. We note further in verses 15 and 16, Then he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, its breadth. But now also notice its height is included as well in this, in this measuring. This angel measures, describes his church as being 12,000 furlongs. A furlong is approximately six feet. And so we have a church measuring about 1,400 miles wide, long, and tall, forming a perfect cube, equal in length and breadth and height, a, a, a church of Christ of an absolutely staggering size. Now, interestingly, congregation, the most holy place of the temple that Solomon built was also a perfect cube. It was small, of course. Its length and width and height all measured the same, 20 cubits each, height, length, width. We read in 1 Kings 6, verse 20, and it was overlaid with pure gold. And it was truly the most holy dwelling place in the Old Testament of God tabernacling with his people. Knowing that information, and we plug it into here, we see that that Old Testament holy of holies was going to be a foreshadowing of a glorious eternal cube. Not of 20 cubits now, but of 12,000 furlongs. 1,400 miles wide, long, and tall. It's a city showing God's, most, God's everlasting, most holy dwelling place with his people. Through all ages to come, his redeemed saints with him forever. Now verse 16 tells us the angel measured the city with a reed, a golden reed, it was 12,000 furlongs. We might ask, well, where in the world does that number 12,000 come from, and why must it be 12,000? These dimensions surely are symbolic, but they are a picture of a, a perfect greatness of size, a picture of perfect fullness. 12 tribes times 10 times 10 times 10 equals 12,000. The 12 apostles, 12 men times 10 times 10 times 10, again we come to the number 12,000. If we multiply 10 times 10 times 10, we only get 1,000, right? It's not a huge number, but it's still a fairly big number. It's a measure of completeness. We know that Christ came to, to, to reign 1,000 years, eh? a picture of fullness as well. But now we have here a picture of, of 12,000. 12,000 furlongs. 
a city that is so great compared to any other earthly measurement thus far. Congregation, we can't imagine a city 12,000 furlongs, 1,400 miles high and wide and long. We would think, how is this possible? And you know what? That's exactly as how God would kind of leave us wondering. Wondering about something that's beyond our wildest imagination, beyond our, our, our greatest conception. We cannot envision a city. We cannot comprehend a city so, so big, so glorious. We're left with simply having to see it. John is shown the city. We are left to be staggering at the thought of it. We are left to simply believe with amazement and with wonder, with reverence. If we're speechless, that's fine. That's fine. Are we not to be contemplating congregation what eye has not seen and what ear has never heard? And what has never yet entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him when he makes all things new. Well, congregation, might this be too, too much to believe? Might this be too good to be true? Well, if that would be the case then our God is not very big, he's not very truthful, and he's surely not almighty. But this, brothers and sisters, is to be believed. God is not exaggerating here. He's not picturing some fantasy land that will never come. No, this is the real, tangible, concrete, symbol of the holy church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the wife's lamb that we by divine grace will be members of as well. You can be absolutely sure of that through your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the thousandth part has not been told us but we know that God will fulfill his word. He's always been faithful. He always will. He's always been true. He's always been almighty. He will too on that glorious day when he makes all things new in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then thirdly, we move on briefly to see something of the church's eternal splendor. We might wonder what possibly could be added already to this picture of splendor of this holy Jerusalem adorned with the glory of God, as verse 11 tells us. But there's more detail we get to see in verse 18 and following, and it is absolutely astounding what we see. Verse 18 tells us that the construction of the wall was of jasper. We've heard that word already, jasper, that was its appearance. And you think, how could a wall so massive, so thick, so tall, so high, be made all of jasper stones? Are there enough jasper in the world to build such a wall, we would think? Entirely made of the precious stone of jasper, we read in verse 18. 
even though its foundations are decked out and made with other stones. But first, just to note from verse 18 that and the city itself was of pure gold like clear glass. And the street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass, verse 21. And regarding those 12 gates, each was made of a single pearl. Remember the pearl of great price. A description of the kingdom that Jesus used in a, par- in a, in a parable. Each gate was of a single pearl, and an angel stood at each gate. What are we to make of this congregation? I cannot help but say, but this is glory upon glory lavished upon the church, and splendor upon splendor, and riches upon riches, ruled over and cared for also by God's holy messengers, ministers of those who will inherit eternal life, namely the angels there as well at the gates. And then we see how this wall somehow is comprised of 12 foundations. We read in verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. They're adorned with and glisten with the whole spectrum of living color, dazzling light, living color, of the colors that God has first created. The first foundation is of, made of crystal clear jasper. The second foundation is the bright shining blue of sapphire. The third foundation having the many colors of chalcedony. The fourth has the brilliant green of the emerald stone. The fifth is a black and a often reddish color of the sardonyx. The sixth foundation is of brilliant reds of sardius. The seventh, the olive greens of the chrysolite gem. The eighth foundation is the blue-green color of beryl. The ninth having the foundation with uh, the stones of white and gold and yellow of topaz. The very pretty green color of chrysophase forms the tenth foundation. The eleventh is the orange and the reds of jacinth. And the twelfth foundations upon which are the brilliant violent purple of amethyst. We have here congregation a, a, a picture of dazzling extravagance of dazzling array of light and color and riches far beyond what is breathtaking, something that only God could have designed. The colors he made from the beginning to be what they are, to display something of his majesty and glory upon the church. Those walls, they radiate the splendor and the glory of God's holy word. That has always been the foundation for the church. These foundations are decked out with these precious, glorious jewels. They radiate with the splendor of God's holy works by which His church has become so beautiful, a bride of the Lamb. Now these twelve dazzling foundations of precious stones, it seems, also radiate and reflect the radiant glory of God's holy attributes. 
And I say that because this is what has made the church not simply something to exist, but has made it a radiant thing. We speak about the glory of God's grace or the glory of His love and the wonders of His mercy. And we speak of His glorious power by which He redeemed Israel and destroyed the evil one and the glory of His knowledge and the glory of His righteousness and all the other attributes that we could think of, all of them so necessary for the church to simply exist, never mind to become glorious. And all those attributes of God's glorious holy being, all furthermore being made flesh in the Lamb, in the life and the person of Jesus Christ, so that He, a glorious Savior, had all the wherewithal to make a glorious holy church bearing the very image of its maker. Are we not brothers and sisters to be bearing the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? Already in this age bearing something, reflecting something of the glory of God. Now these jewels that are mentioned in verses 19 and following they were real precious Jews known to mankind in the first century when the book was written. They were very rare jewels. They were of exquisite quality and they were so, so highly prized. And yet, they are used of God to teach us something, aren't they? They're not just a bunch of words on the page there. They are used to teach us in this heavenly vision, though they seem to be so rare upon the earth, but here they are in such superabundance. The walls are made of these jewels. It shows the superabundance of God's goodness and grace to be lavished upon His people as never before, yes, in the age to come, yet to be seen by you and me now and to be received as a promise to you and me now who seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness because that is a thing of glory even now. The glory of the kingdom of God now already. Jesus already compared it to a pearl of great price. Something a man could naturally never afford of his own. It has to be given by the grace of God. What a glorious thing that is then. These precious jewels show what God in his love has made us to be. The glorious bride of the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world and that we would be adorned with this dazzling beauty and riches of the glory of God. Congregation, it's yours to have. It's yours to be. And to think about being already, even now, radiating with the sweet grace and the love 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. So already now we're standing out. Something peculiar, something special, something that blesses people with the truth, the knowledge of God. Congregation, may this sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you now be a thing of infinite value. The cross of Christ. May his righteousness imputed to, be, imputed to you be a thing of priceless reality. May the church of Jesus Christ now be that most precious holy body that you are a member of that you wouldn't dream of leaving lest you lose all. You might gain the riches of the world, you'll lose your soul. you lose the identity which God promises to his people. The rewards of everlasting life. May the kingdom of God congregation that you are now a member of be like a pearl of the greatest price imaginable. And I say that because man today walking in darkness sets his heart on all kinds of precious things too. On the things that glitter. The things that now catch the eye. That sparkle. That shine. Those things that glitter. Those things that tickle your fancy. The things that money can buy. Oh, the treasures money can buy. And man prizes these things because really as an unbeliever, that's all he's got, that's all there is. So why not go after that? But we know infinitely more. We are people of the truth and children of the light. Of the light of the glory of God. And so do not fall in love with all these temporal things that glitter, that shine, that are worth so much. Do not set your love upon them lest they become your idols. Idols. Rather keep turning your face to God through Jesus Christ, knowing that you are a radiant bride, decked out with the glory of God. You're already likened to jewels that will shine in the kingdom of God as his treasured possession forever. And that brought me right back as I was working through this to Daniel and those amazing words to those poor people in bondage in that city Babylon. Those who are wise, eh? filled with the wisdom God's grace. Those who are wise, he says, shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, like the brightness of the heavens above. And those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and forever. Praise be to your glorious bridegroom, for he has made us glorious. Amen.